coming up next on the health hustle tell your story work on your pitch also let like let your business change like you're gonna pitch to whoever you think is cool or whatever you you know whatever you want right your customers pick you based on like what you're doing so just like think about that um and and reflect something and so if you want to adjust anything therein if you're finding like oh we're like we're not we're not getting as diverse a crowd of people where we're really getting a lot of these type of people like coach yourself that self-coaching that one of the most difficult things is being and most people are i think self-critical to to a degree but make it something that's uh positive so like you have to police yourself a little bit um you need to kick yourself in the butt a little bit you need to be patient with yourself too but sort of like meditating like that like have a purpose be focused but also like there's a little bit of detachment from outcome just because the winery is a success or your podcast is a success or your clothing brand doesn't mean like personally that everything's all okay on the inside and if it fails that doesn't mean that you're a failure at large either um i think we need to have that healthy like sometimes you're going to put your best out there and you know you're not going to win um and so with that fail fast and and move forward but just keep going forward quit focusing on the speed bump. Hey folks, and welcome to the Health Hustle of Austin, Texas. On this show, we uncover the big ideas from your fellow health and fitness entrepreneurs in the Austin, Texas area about how they built their business and the lessons they learned along the way. What's up, y'all? Corey here, and in this episode, I had a chance to sit down with my buddy Ross McLaughlin of the Austin Winery, which was such a unique episode for me. Ross and his partners Cooper and Matt founded the Austin Winery in 2014, which was the first full production grape-to-glass winery inside the Austin city limits. The question I was most excited to answer in this episode was how how Ross has been able to use wine as a conduit to build community and actually improve the city of Austin. More specifically though, some of the things that we get into are Ross's early exposure to wine, building a business with purpose, creating drinkable art, which I found very interesting, the power of storytelling, which I know you guys know is important, his best marketing advice, why you should absolutely have a premium product offer no matter what your product or service is, value stacking, if Ross is an introvert or an extrovert, why Ross loves educating people about wine and how that's actually useful to building his business and marketing a business, pivoting your business when necessary and paying attention to what's going on around you, and so much more. One last thing, if you're a health or fitness professional and you're having difficulties getting leads, one of the most common reasons that I see this is not having a well-defined niche. If you go to the link in the description, I have a free three-step process that walks you through exactly how to get clarity on which niche is best suited for you and your business. Without further ado, let's go. Ross McLaughlin, welcome to the show. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Thank you. I'm excited to do our first ever interview in this unique setup that we have in the comfy chairs in the second room that we normally record out of. So They are comfy chairs too, so thank you. Don't get too comfy because I want this still to be a kick-ass podcast episode, but yeah, I'm excited for this. I won't get cozy. <laughs> Stay comfy. <laughs> so I feel like a good starting place for you is that just to give people context of kind of who you are and what you're up to these days is you're essentially in the wine business world. Specifically here in Austin, Texas, you're by far, for sure, the first person I've ever had on the show that's going to be talking in regards to the angle of business from a wine component. But before we even get into that piece of it, I'd be curious as to a little bit more about like your upbringing and how you even got involved in wine in the first place. Um, yeah, so I definitely wasn't one of those kids who's like, you know, on a Gordon Ramsay show swirling a glass of wine at eight and being like, oh, I'm getting apricots and stone fruit. Like, 
I had great exposure early on. Um, my mom's a New York Italian. Um, my, my dad's from Chicago, but just loves food and all beverage too. Um, he's a glutton, you know? Mm. Um, and we were kind of raised more in that old world style where everything revolved around the kitchen. Um, very active there was able to, you know, have a little half a glass of wine with dinner all the time. And I think just like language or, or sport, when you have that early exposure, early introduction, you can do late specialization without having some like structure of intimidation or, um, uh, uh, something like that, that comes with something that's so foreign to you. So mm. from that as a base point, I really like wanted to and, and set my curriculum in college around working for Anthony Bourdain. But again, like I told you, he just didn't get my communications or messages. I didn't have any direct lines to him. Um, were you sending him actual messages? Mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this was before, I don't even know if Instagram was like a thing yet. This was 2000. 11. I'm, I'm, I know it was a thing. I just probably wasn't on it yet. And just so people that don't know, Anthony Bourdain, he's essentially like a food guy. He's on the food. Was he Food Network or what was his channel? Yeah. I mean, he transcended all of that and he had, you know, shows on multiple networks. He had books. He had speaking. He's, you know, kind of a, the patron saint of the modern day um, food chef movement um, in, in a very uh, like kind of unadulterated way right mm. like he's pretty raw yeah. right yeah um whereas i think like there's other people like emerald or mario batali or something like that who seem a little more commercial while he was he has that like indie aesthetic like the way like a wes anderson film does like he's still a celebrity chef you know yeah um but but he's kind of preserves the the artistry of it um he seemed like more of a storyteller yeah totally and elevating you know the everyman and giving credence and praise as much praise to somebody cooking you know in a rural setting with fresh ingredients as somewhat more so than you would like a michelin star restaurant um well i hope you meet him someday bro yeah in heaven (laughs) (laughs) hopefully no time soon yeah Yeah. but in any case so so that was really kind of like how i came about uh my approach to wine and really for me I had a boss tell me once who I think this really, really made the most sense. He said, even if, you, if you're going on a date with someone and you sit down and you spend more than 30 seconds talking about the wine, like you're doing it wrong. Um, the wine is here to be uh, an accessory for your conversation, for your connection. It's supposed to be a sensory engagement and enhancer. So art's better, music's better, food, right? Like good company. We even look a little bit better after we have a glass of wine. Our, our face is a little more re- relaxed, but... It's not no always supposed to be the star of the show, very rarely. And so I think with that, that brings a little bit of hopefully like humility or awareness to, to what we're doing. And I think with all the things, all of our career pathways with fitness, if you're a personal trainer, with an apparel line, something like that, if you go so much into the minutia of the fibers of the fabric, so to speak, you can't, you're going to lose a lot of people. Um, you don't have to dumb it down, but be snackable in your content and your education because you don't want to alienate people and you want to be bringing people in. One of the biggest things that I see is people are afraid of wine, right? They don't order it because they can't pronounce the grape or they're not sure what color is going to come out, you know, if it pairs right. And there's nothing worse than when you're trying to be a, a nice host or something like that and you find yourself like being made to feel stupid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big fear that people have with wine much less so now, but 10 years ago, I think wine IQ 
at large and, and in Austin in particular was really low. Well, I think it's really understanding where people are at, right? I yeah. think that's where most people get messed up just in general from anyone starting a business or building a brand is that you need to meet people where they're at. And oftentimes they're in the 101 of whatever name your category. And wine is just another example of that of even like your labeling that I've seen is like it's very friendly. Yeah. It's very easy to digest for people. And so yeah. like was this always the initial mission behind starting this company or was that something that you guys learned along the way? Yeah, transparency. Um I think that that's kind of what what we're talking about there. And I think that particularly with a bottle of wine, the label, so many people say, "Oh, I buy it by the label." Well, that's not wrong at all, but I do think that labels should be suggestive or have some connotation about the story of the wine like I remember my brothers in fashion, so watching Project Runway, when they're judging the, the outfits, and they bring the, the models out and they go, okay, who is this girl? Where is she going in this dress? Like, the, what's the purpose? You know, not that you need to be telling people like how to eat your food, but having some sort of sense of a cohesive thought from the vineyard to the, the glass, right? It's like, all right, what are we working on today on our workout? We're just going to run just a bunch, guys. You know, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but we're just going <laughs> to run like to our end. And what's that going to do? I don't know. But <laughs> I, that's really what I'm liking to push right now. Like it, it doesn't make much sense. Right? right. So we try and, you know, if our label has like a fox on it and it says Grenache and it says silky and smooth, but all kind of in handwritten subtext, the connotation should be, OK, this is a light body red wine, early you know, aperitivo sort of thing. Like it, it should kind of give you a couple clues, right? As maybe it's best use in practice. I love that you use the word purpose. This was actually something that I learned as I got better at hosting some of the events. I don't know if you've seen that I do a yeah. lot of community building here in Austin. And it took me a minute to really learn that principle of understanding what is the purpose of this event and why are we bringing people together? But I think like what you're talking about, it's equally true from the business that you're building, right? Is like, I'm sure every level of maybe where you source the grapes to how you decide on a label to how you decide on what typography to use is all rooted in like, well, what's the purpose and who are we talking to, correct? And, and to that also, you could say solution-based, hmm. right? So I think about that when, like when I'm arguing, right? I'm like, okay, what am I really, what am I trying to achieve here? Am I just blowing off steam or is, is there like a solution that I'm trying to get to? Um, and the same thing, like sometimes we uh, analogize wine or making a portfolio of wine to making an album. So you would say, okay, we're going to start off with what we think is the most approachable single, like ballad chorus, right? Let's just say we're a basic band, right? Um, and so for us in a wine sense, that's a medium bodied red wine that you could have that's really versatile, you know, those kinds of things, right? Then from there, now we have a crisp light white wine. Okay, now maybe we have a sparkling wine or we go for a heavy red, right? But you sort of build around, you know, your, your, the star player or what's going to be your core anchor, right? So same thing with sales traffic, driving with events, whatever. You have to have something that, like I, I love one-off fun, really thematic events, but in business you see like, those sort of things are not necessarily, if it's a template that you can make recurring that doesn't get stale, that's great, but you need to have consistency and execution in your, in, in you know, beyond just the production, right? So hmm. I, I want to come back to very briefly about how you even started into the wine world in general, because 
before we were recording, like there were any number of a billion things that you could have chosen to do in terms of like starting a venture and to doing your own thing, essentially. What was it that was so appealing about wine that made you really want to lean into it? There's a couple things that, that I think are major pros and cons. One, um, you know, I think we all see a lot of tech ventures and we know how uh, profitable and and you know relevant they can be but they also can flash out really really quickly um at 24 or 25 when you're starting a business a winery doesn't sound like maybe the most secure business to start but there is something to be said for having a product that is um not totally perishable right it ages well it's not like i just harvested 10,000 pounds of tomatoes and i have to sell them in three days or like my money's gone right um if you do things right there's a longevity and there's no way that someone can go and point at your product and go, that's worth nothing. Mm. You're worth nothing at all. Like there's no obsolescence. So it's like a new wine has been released and all of yours is now garbage. <laughs> like you, you can ruin wine for sure. But um, I like that there's, there's a story to wine that it is really like drinkable art. Um, uh, I really love the, there's a simplicity to it that this is really the way we make wine is, without any introduction of uh, outside tannin, acid adjustment, yeast, the wine really makes itself and you're guiding it on its pathway to be the best version of itself. I don't have kids, but the analogy that I say for that is like, if you had a kid and you're like, okay, piano lessons for you all day, and the kid is not a piano player, right? Mm. Um, so you're not trying to force something in a direction, like letting it show its, show its kind of true nature and just guide it on that way. Um, that's not to be like negligent of it, um, but to be really aware and, you know, gentle. So uh, that's something that I really liked about it too. And that it's, it really is an agricultural product that encapsulates a picture or a vignette of what that harvest or year was like. There's two things I want to pull out that you just said that you can take either one or both for that matter. You talked about the storing telling aspect of wine in that industry and also, I think you said, I might butcher how you just said this. Was it liquid art? What did you call yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drinkable art. Drinkable art. Right. What, what? Gogurt might get me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I might understand that one from that probably every bottle of wine is different, which is probably mm -hmm. what you're hitting on on that point. Yeah. Um, but what about the storytelling piece of it? What is it about storytelling that relates to wine for you? Yeah, for, well, really, really the storytelling side of it, I think that it combines all the things that I was previously mentioning. So it combines the story of the climate um, of that year, really. So for instance, mm. last year was really dry and hot, right? So even like stylistically at large, I prefer to make wines that are slightly lower alcohol uh, for lots of reasons there. Uh, but last year when the, when the temperatures are really high and there's hardly any rainfall, sugars rise very quickly and that's going to end up yielding higher alcohol. Again, this is back to sort of guiding these wines to be the best version of themselves. Like it's going to be a little higher booze this year. Um, that's just by the nature of it and nothing I can do or nothing I want to do is going to curb that. Cause I think that's going to kind of just adulterate the, like the numbers and the, the image of the wine. Um, and so there's a little bit of that working always sort of negotiating with nature. Um, and then also kind of having a point of view too. Um, so I think like you have to understand where you exist in the context of your industry. Hmm. So 
you've seen there's a big push of natural wine, which has been wonderful. Um, but it can also be like gatekeeping the same way that conventional Napa cabs and Chardonnay were, you know, to, to the generation prior. Um, and so I kind of like to operate just on the edges of the peripheral and kind of, you know, zag a little bit and swing back. So one of the things I say is like somebody fat shamed natural wine, like there's no big bodied red wines. There's no like big bodied Chardonnays or things like that anymore. Cause this was so counter. Right. And so I'm like, you know what, fuck it. Let's show that you can have a natural wine. That's like dad friendly, but like still be cool. One of my favorite topics in general is just that aspect of public perception. And I love how as a society, we have certain beliefs around certain things based on just like what the quote unquote public thinks of it. I feel like the perfect example of this was I remember when bourbon was not cool. It was like the cheap trash alcohol. And most people don't know this. Actually, what made bourbon cool and expensive was the show Mad Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen some some bits on that, yeah. Yeah, and it was basically just this back-in-the-day advertising agency-type show, and they would sip on bourbon, and they'd wear these nice suits, and they would be all sleek and cool. When that show came up, bourbon prices went through the roof. Yeah, because it wasn't just Evan Williams anymore. It was uh, you know, all these much more like bespoke, yes. smaller storytelling, small-batch bourbons. Exactly. Yeah. And it became like the thing that people drank and you couldn't find it and it was sold out and, right, and obviously, and all that. yes, exactly. Yeah. And then it became this whole like documentary, but like, that's one of my favorite topics is the idea of public perception. Cause the other one that I think about all the time is barbecue. Yeah. I love barbecue and barbecue relatively actually isn't that expensive when you compare it to a lot of like fine dining, like a, a sushi or an Italian restaurant or something like that, which is hilarious to me because when you look at the actual amount of effort and energy and love and tenderness that goes into making barbecue it blows everything else out of the water. Like the amount of man hours and energy that goes into making a really good piece of barbecue, it should be the most expensive item on the menu. But it's not because the public perception behind it of like, oh, it's lowbrow and exactly. approachability. But here's here's something that the barbecue spot does that uh, fine dining doesn't do this, that I love. They're like sold out. We're closed, dude. Oh, yeah, 11 yeah, 11.30 yeah. a.m. Yes. Fuck out of here. Yes. <laughs> that's And that's probably very smart business-wise in terms of like supply and demand right like they um, know that if there's a limited supply they can charge a premium and make their money right that's it's a great pitch like i had same boss told me one time he was like you know what the best market marketing pitch is fresh eggs fresh out i'm like what he says who doesn't eat eggs you eat eggs I'm like yeah he's like do you like fresh eggs i was like yeah he's like well they're sold out so come back tomorrow <laughs> like, oh, that's pretty good there's a there's a scarcity cookie. scarcity there you, you go know? bingo because yeah. like i think the other company that does it here i think it is it crumble the cookies yeah i think they do the same thing you eat they, cookies no i'm not a big yeah, sweets guy like thank you <laughs> but i'm just saying like they use the scarcity tactic is that they every week they like put out their quote-unquote type of cookie that they're going to release that week and then once they're out they're out right the soft shell crab of the cookie world yeah exactly exactly yeah. seasonal baby it's a mcrib that's very that sounds very east coast of you yeah i, I don't yeah. i don't spend any no, we time get good we get good soft shell crab down here actually este i went and had a little soft shell crab torta the other week yes yeah. fire um but the same thing is true in wine like and that's part of the thing that's built into it that's part of the art of it that is experiential which our our demographic our like conscious consumption and capitalism we were very um moral and sort of like like compass driven in our purchases right we, we feel like we have relationships with these brands and very much do um and so you want to make these not necessarily if it's just just from a you know kind of political socio-economic like activism 
perspective, but just in terms of like the care of the product. Um, and so with wine, what's funny is we have certain labels that we produce year over year, but it's never the same. It can't be, right? Because the grapes will be different. There's no way, there's no secret, secret like barbecue sauce, right? There, there's no like, hey, let me tell you a little pinch of paprika and we're right there, you know? Um, the grapes are going to be different every single year. And even though it's produced under the same label, there's an understanding, hopefully, among the consumers that, okay, this is going to vary year to year um, just based on, on, on natural elements. Hmm. Um, and so that's one thing that I think is also really cool. We talked about like sort of the, the drinkable art, that there's this, this finite and scarcity to it that we want people to understand. Like you can't get save for four of our wines um you nothing else is going to be available year round because that's just like if we're understanding in this global economy whatever the hell we want to talk about with that um if we understand that like we can't just plant we can't have it all be soybeans like people are like we need to go vegetarian or vegan well we can't just monoculture like everything right so we can't just plant tempranillo everywhere you have to understand that some years are going to work better for certain things than some other yields are going to be different. Um, and you can't have fresh avocados all the time. Okay. You know, that's just part of it. What if I want fresh avocado? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So I have a quick story for you. I yep. think you might enjoy this. Uh, a buddy was telling me that he went out to dinner with a guy who he just basically ordered the most expensive quote unquote bottle of wine on the menu. He was hosting like, I don't know, there's probably a dozen people there. And he was just trying to be a good host. And he's like, bring me your best bottle of wine. And they're like, you sure you don't want to like look at the price? He's like, no, 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 just bring it out. Mm. They bring out this bottle of wine. And he literally had to actually like sign some piece of paper. Can, can I guess the price? Just we, Okay, yes, when we get there. Yeah, sorry. So, <laughs> Excited. So, <laughs> and he actually, I think he had to like put his like fingerprint on it or something uh, like that. He had to sign a piece of paper, put his fingerprint on there. Bad signs. And then uh, went away or whatever. And then like they all drank this bottle of wine, loved it, enjoyed it. And he's like, bring another one. And they're like, are you sure? you want another bottle of this wine and he's like yeah yeah bring it out same deal they come out he had to like sign another piece of paper stamp his thing fingerprint on there and then the bill comes what's your guess 28.50 a bottle okay so i think if i remember correctly i might butcher this but i think the first it was the same bottle twice but because they drank the first one the second one went up in price Oh my God! So because yeah, obviously it's the it was, last scarcity, man. Ex- exactly, yeah. and I think the first bottle was ten, and then by the time they drank it, the second bottle was fifteen thousand dollars. Oh no! So yeah, it was like a twenty-five thousand dollar just on wine. Two for one. Yeah, buy one get one half off. Not, not know, in the wine world, baby. Did I miss that deal. <laughs> Damn. But yeah, I had to tell you that story because like it's just wild. so interesting, and it, it goes back to that component of. I'm sure there was a story behind this wine of like where it was growing and the season that it went through and yada, yada, yada. So, so like at that price point, there's, there's, you're sort of hitting the Royal flush of scarcity. Um, because what happens is that you, so they talk about like, there's a, a, a geographical growing area usually like without getting too heady here that probably that producer is the only producer in that recognized area. So they call that a monopole. They have a monopoly on that signature of, of, of character that's partially from the climate, it's just them. They're the only people producing there. They probably have a ton of prestige. This bottle is probably also 20 years old. Yeah, I'm sure. Been sitting on it. And this is like, like this is a, a sommelier's dream. Like they, they buy those wines, like they get to taste them and like pray maybe that they'll get to sell one one day. But like that, that guy just made his, you know, half a year of work right there for that song. So damn, um, good man. for him, you know? 
Yeah. Everybody's got everybody's got that though. I have a friend who's like an arborist and he had to move some lady's tree in uh Travis Heights, like a live oak. Um and I think just moving the tree was like two hundred twenty thousand dollars. Two hundred and twenty thousand dollars? To like move like a crazy live oak. And he ended up he was like great. Like got he got like I think probably forty five grand commission on it or something. He just quit his job and he's like, I'm gonna take my Subaru, uh, go climb some trees all around the country. Like, thanks. What well, okay, we don't have to go into that rabbit hole, but that's actually really interesting to me. What I don't understand why that's so expensive just because of how protected that tree is. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like you have to you know, it's like getting checkups on the tree, you know, the tree's gotta Who paid that? Who's the bajillionaire that yeah. thought that that was worth it's a nice the investment? Yeah. 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 Who bought that bottle of wine, you know? It's a corporate <laughs> a corporate write off. Somebody, you know, from from a fitness perspective or from an entrepreneur perspective in general. I think you, our goal is to have things that are approachable, that are value proposition oriented, right? We were trying to bring people in. We're not some established brand where it's like, nope, Coke Zero. This is, you guys know us, you mm-hmm. know, we do one thing. Um, and, but you do like also need to be able to have, what is the ultimate premium thing you can produce or service that you can provide and price it accordingly? And like someone will go for it, maybe, but you really have to deliver, of course, too, but don't like the, I've, I've had this happen where we don't sell a bottle of wine that we produce that's over $50 a bottle retail. And we've had people come in and be like, oh, I'm trying to buy something for my dad or my in-laws want to get them something local, but I don't know. It's just, you just don't have anything very, very expensive. We're like, I wish you had more expensive wine. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, maybe even you got to have a reach price, you know? You do. Yeah. That's literally what I was going to hit you on real quick yeah. was that I think that everyone should have a premium offer yeah. of some form because, again, it goes back to public perception Yep, is that you assume the more you pay for something, regardless of it is, you just value it and appreciate it more. Well, and also, and it's not, you're not taking advantage of a customer or anything, but I do think you need to say, like, if you're in this business, it should be for a reason because you should think that you're, hopefully, you're good at it. Hopefully, you've what you produce is of value and and tastes like it or feels like it right um so i think that if you believe like that you're a basketball player like can't you make the shot mm. you know like you got to be able to back yourself there a little bit too totally so, yeah yeah i mean really for anyone listening to the show i think the i think the message here really is that having even if nobody ever buys it just having a premium option is just really smart buyer psychology. Yeah, like spheres of intimacy, right? Um, especially like if you're listening to this and you're somebody who's getting their business started um, and you need to kind of have that cast that wide net. You need to have, um, always you need to be doing community building, but something that's maybe like the equivalent of what, what dentists say, right? It's like free x-ray, right? Or free teeth clean, free x-ray with your teeth cleaning, right? And then now you need braces. Now you need a dental implant. The dentist is the most expensive thing in the world, you know, um, but but you need to have that sort of scale. So for us, it's like hopefully maybe you see our wines at an event of uh, uh, something for like the Trail Foundation or a community like we're donating product to an intimate event of yours. Um, and then maybe you see the wine and you get it for free. Right. And then you see the wine in Central Market or at a restaurant and you're like, oh, yeah, I know, I know that guy. That, that, that was pretty good. Maybe you get a bottle. Right. Then you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe we should go check out the winery. We go see that. And then you're there. Then you're like at our best margin. Then you're joining the wine club. Now you're getting things that are unreleased, right? You're getting the best service. But at that point, you've like you've walked yourself in, right? Um, and you've had 
that little like hit of dopamine or that sort of that sort of payout um, experientially at, at each juncture that's led you through those checkpoints. And Love so that. you have to do that. Love that so much, man. I, I from a marketing brain, that's what I do for a living is that we call it value stacking. You call it spheres of influence, right? but it's the same concept. I just made that up. It sounds, yeah, I like oh. yours better. Value stacking. <laughs> it's the same principle, right? Is like you have to get somebody a very easy, simple, essentially psychological win, whether that's like tasting a wine or having a sample at Costco or having some sort of free offer or whatever it is. It's just like some sort of low value and then you stack your way up to like actually going to the winery or whatever the case might right. be. And rewarding engagement. Totally. You know? Yeah, totally. I, uh, I want to pull back a little bit and talk about some of the challenges sure. that you may have dealt with, like starting this. Cause I know there's been some obstacles that you've had to overcome in terms of like starting up the business that you have now today. You mind sharing some of those? Totally. And, and this is, um, not to belittle, um, anyone's experience on their journey to getting a legal business, but getting a legal business that produces alcohol, that's, that is, I'll, I'll tell you, they basically put you under siege. And this is, it's sort of a, a kind of a sad truth, but to be able to make a legal drop of alcohol, you need to have a space that you own or lease. Um, the process federally takes usually about three to six months. So you're not having any income at all, right? You can't. Um, then you get inspected by a federal inspector. Then another three months for your state inspector. Now you can legally produce something that after you've been sitting and waiting for a year, um, add that to Ted Cruz shut down the federal government when we were like in our federal approval process. Um, the TTB, which is tobacco, um, uh, alcohol, and uh, this actually has firearms in there too. Um, they are considered non-essential. So they shut that down. So I'm just sitting there as like a 24 year old with like my, the inheritance from my mom passing away, watching that just dwindle while he's like reading green eggs and ham, you know? And uh, <laughs> even my dad's like leans Republican. He's like, you know, I'm not going to vote for that guy because he's really screwed you over. I'm like, if that's the reason, like, <laughs> it's great. But Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, so, so that alone, like that sort of siege that they put you under um, is, is something that's, that's really crazy. Um, then from there, then be a 24 year old in Texas saying that you're going to be making wine and try and go like get a tasting with the, the Whole Foods buyer, right? I get, I even like managed to get a meeting with him, and he was like, "Oh no, we're not going to taste any wine." I'm like, "Okay, uh, what am I doing?" You know, uh, but but I'd say like those. There's so many of these speed bumps. You're going to run into so many speed bumps, and the thing is, is you have to be able to look past them, get past them, and move forward. Mm. Like, do not dwell on oh like i signed a lease with this lady and she was screwing us over and now i want to sue her for damages fuck that like just get through it and get going what is your purpose like don't worry about like okay you lost on a bad hand don't do it again mm. like move forward like that's one of the things i always say is so many people when you first get started like why don't you give your product for free to my people for exposure maybe i'll get you next time They're like nah, i don't like that like i think you need to have at least cover your costs, really make it worthwhile. Um, you know, that's that's not like a, a true partnership unless it's there's a real intimacy and exposure and things going in two directions. But so often, especially young people who are enthusiastic getting into their business, get taken advantage of by somebody who thinks they can tack you on as a perk. That's not necessarily relevant. You're like, what am I doing here? Like, unless you see it and you see how you're going to really have an impact and have some 
like firsthand exposure to another uh, potential customer, don't do it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I love the aspect of partnerships. I, it's something I'm slowly learning, especially to tap back into like the community aspect of things. I've literally within the past week here have had three different like spaces slash venues reach out to me and like want to host the group. And it pulls back on that question of like purpose. Like what's the purpose of the group? Is this in alignment with like actually supporting the people that I want to help and serve? And it's been challenging because like, it shows me that obviously there's a lot of value in this community because like people are reaching out. But to your point exactly, it's really hard to navigate like who has your best interest in mind, who you're best suited to partner with and making decisions along those lines. I'd be curious for you is like, how do you differentiate that stuff? Like how do you determine like who are good partners and bad partners? So, so one, I would say you have to think about how you can convert those customers, how you can engage with those customers and the relevance first of all i think for me in particular with wine if i want to be able to give any bit of education or talk about the wine at all the event has to be ideally under 100 people because otherwise it's just like all right Corey, you're grabbing a glass of wine and one for your friend here and two i'll take four of the reds right we don't have time to chit chat there's too many people um one of the things i also go for is multiple impressions so we partner with two nonprofits local nonprofits year round uh, each year so that we can uh, have be that accessory without making wine like the focus. We're here for a nonprofit for the Trail Foundation or for Water to Thrive or Andy Roddick Foundation, something like that. And if we provide for their philanthropic events through the year, they're real uh, people who really care, who are really engaged it's like an NPR listener. Like they're, they're just a little bit more clued on. They're a little more attentive. They'll notice it with that multiple impressions, you know? Interesting. I'm going to have to start looking into some more nonprofit opportunities. Did you say Andy Roddick, the tennis player? Yeah. Is he from Austin? Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I was on the board for a while. I didn't get to play tennis with him once, so I'm out, man. No, yeah, no yeah, I just no. got super busy. Quit. I'm out. <laughs> but it was good. He does like camps for disadvantaged youth, um, particularly in East and South Austin and like, the summertime is you don't have any school meals, you know, summer camps are very expensive. So this is like a free thing, you know, get people engaged in sports. Mm. It's, it's, you know, good vibe. That's cool. So I know there's a lot of healthy quote unquote people that listen to the show. Sure. Curious as to what's your thoughts on, is there, is there other than grape juice, is there alcohol free wine? Is that an option? Do people make that? And what's Th your interest there in There is. And ironically, it's more expensive than regular wine. Because of the process so of filtering or yeah, what? No, because actually for non-alcoholic stuff, for non-alcoholic wine in particular, they actually do ferment it and then they go through... Boiling not a, or something? Yeah, like not re re reverse osmosis, but some sort of filtration process where they remove the alcohol from there. So it's not like a big sugar ball, you know. Hmm. Uh, but yes, there, there are a lot of non-alcoholic options. You know, I always say like people's like, oh, wine's good for you, right? I'm like, it is still alcohol, right? I mean, anything in excess is bad for you. We know that the wines that we produce don't have any sugar in them. Um, certainly that's, you know, I think we've down no sugar or no, no like sugar. added sugar. No, no sugar at all. We Period? ferment all the sugar out. So when we pick the grapes, they're usually about like 20, 18 to twenty two percent sugar. Why do you do that? Uh, when we pick them? Well, why do you make a wine that doesn't have any sugar in it? Because I'd rather have alcohol than sugar. Go on. So when you pick the sugar, is what feeds the fermentation. The yeast eats the sugar, passes out um, alcohol. And CO2. Okay. 
Yeah. Interesting. Uh huh. So, so what you're doing is you're making a trade. You're trading sugar for alcohol. Um, and for us, you ferment all the way through to completion because also we don't filter. So if there's any residual sugar and active yeast still, it will ferment again. And then like you have corks popping out of balls, you have things exploding, you have stinky stuff. So we go all the way. Have you had the bottles explode on you and stuff? Um, yeah, a couple times. Not like like <laughs> like Petnat in particular is is a, a sparkling wine where you uh, even the carbonation is natural because you're actually finishing that last bit of fermentation with a little bit of sugar in it. If you don't have a strong pressurized bottle, if you have too much sugar in it, you're sitting in the wine and you just start hearing like popping. You're like, oh my god. We don't have an HR department. We have insurance, but like we need to. So you you have to relieve that pressure. You have to open all those bottles. It's a huge pain in the ass. Oh my gosh! Yeah, exploding wine exploding, bottles. Exploding. <laughs> You'll hear. Ask people in the industry. Like they'll they'll be like, oh yeah. Like sometimes beer is just like popping in their warehouse. Like especially like sweeter stuff too. Hope you got your safety glasses yeah. on, man. So keep the sugar out. That's know? wild. Yeah. I know your brother is a big inspiration in your life. Yeah. Totally. Do you mind sharing why that is? Yeah. Um, my brother is three and a half years older than me. Um, he's uh, uh, in fashion. Um, he's, uh, I would say he's just sort of like, for me, he's really the best example of like what I think a, 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 a man is. Um he also happens to be gay, and he's been with his partner for 15 years. Um, he's incredibly, like, he has so much more patience than I do. Um, and sometimes, like, I think particularly as pertaining to entrepreneurship, um, he's able to keep that, like, steady head. Like, you, you don't want to get too high or too low, right? He's always got this level head, and he also has this ability to speak to the CEO of a company and to a table server or busser or valet with the same, they, he speaks to them in a way that they all feel exactly on the same level. Um, and I think that's something that's really, really important um, to not be creating, like just to think about like the position that you're coming from and to be welcoming and bring people across the table. That approachability, I think goes beyond your product, but like your person and not necessarily just how you present yourself, but these like gestures of kindness and he's the most thoughtful person um, actually his partner's probably more, more thoughtful, but, <laughs> but for, for instance, like growing up, um, my, my dad, uh, divorced parents, my dad would give us both the same Christmas present, right? Which is no problem. Let's see. would be like, okay, close your eyes. And he'd throw a, a blanket over a Bose speaker, right? And go open your eyes. Right. Be like, oh, cool. All right. Thanks dad. Um, so my brother's been had at the time had been with his partner, maybe like seven years or so. He calls me like frantically and he's like, let me tell you something. We were raised wrong in this regard. He goes like, if you're if you're dating someone, do not put a blanket over the gift and then give it to them. He was like, he's like, I almost just got broken up with. He's like, so he's like, that's one thing we need to do. You need to write cards. And you need to wrap gifts. So he's like, thank you, cards. Love you. He's like, those little things make a big difference. And and that's something that you know I think with follow through too, like just really drives it home. You know. In regards to that in general, in regards to some of the lessons learned from like growing up, I've always been just been fascinated by, I feel like so much of our life is we're developed in the ages of like, we'll say five to 13. Oh yeah. And then we spend the rest of our life just like unraveling all the subconscious expectations that we carry around that we don't even realize that we're carrying around. I'd be curious as for you now as a business owner slash entrepreneur, have there been things that you've discovered through being a business owner from some of the things that you just like subconsciously were carrying and then you're like, oh damn. Because I think that 
just business owners in general, I think that that aspect of entrepreneurship is arguably the biggest personal development tool I've ever seen, period. And so it's just been fun to unravel some of the things that I've been carrying around. I'd be curious for you if there's things you've noticed. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it can highlight some good things. And, and as you say, hopefully you become, become aware of the things that are maybe um, some pitfalls that you fall into, right? Um, for me, I think I'm, I've always been like maybe a contrarian, right? So I think sometimes I, I, I'm too eager to change people's mind. You know, they like don't get it. They're like, Texas wine. I don't know. I'm like, good. I like that. Like, I like that attitude. Like, come on, let's taste. And they're like, are you being a dick right now? I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like, you know, you kind of have to like, so I talk to too many fucking strangers. You know, I have a comment on everything. Like sometimes I'm like, like one time I'm pouring for some guy and he's like, I'm like, yeah, this, here's this wine. It's nice and briny. It's got good acid. And the guy's like, stop, stop telling me what I'm going to taste. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Okay. Sorry. Yeah. You talk too much, Ross. Yeah. Nobody shut up. Yeah. Are you pretty are you pretty extroverted? Uh, I think so, yeah. Do you think that that goes hand in hand with wanting to create a wine business in regards to where you get to sit down and have wine and talk to people because I feel like that's a big component of it. Um, I would say that the majority of my team in particular um is not like that. Is I think that that there's a, a and and the wine industry at large is not extroverts. Um, I think it's mostly introverts who become slightly extroverts with a little bit of wine. Mm. Um, I think that really I, I break down the wine industry for me, at least as a third manual labor, whether that be in the vineyard in the cellar like that. I'm a move my body, move my mind kind of guy, a third quiet, creative, sometimes frustrating work, whether that's making labels, whether that's writing your copy, brand design, bureaucratic shit, and then a third social. Um, so for me, really, really ADHD, um, that's a nice mix because every day and every season will change quite a bit. Um, and, and there's not that like definitive structure, but sort of a changing, uh, change like a block scheduling or something like that. Right. I have a guess, but which one of those three seasons do you enjoy the most? Um, I like the manual side. I like the manual side. I like each of them. Really? I really do half they each of them halfway through you're like all right i'm tired Hmm. tired of this you know but that's just sort of you know always the always moving mind too i would have assumed it was the social side of it yeah probably first firstly yeah yeah and the only reason i say that too is because i know that you're also a believer in how business should be something that adds value to the community exactly um i'd like to tap in that a little bit with you is like where do you see some of the stuff going with your business and how do you see it being a contributor to what's going on in austin yeah um aside from being a fun place for you to be able to um, come and drink and be with friends and dog friendly, kid friendly. We don't want it to be like Pine House Pizza, like a playground where you just kids are running around like off leash. Um, dogs, I mean dogs off leash. Kids. No kids too, man. Yeah, leash some of them. Yeah, some, some of them need them. Some of your boyfriends need leashes too. Um, but uh, generally, can I, can I pause you real quick. Yeah. Uh, some people know the story. They probably saw it on my Instagram, but I, I do a lot of dog walking yeah. slash sitting. And as of most recently, the dog I've been watching, he slipped his head out of the collar and got loose. I'd never freaked out so much in my whole life. Like what kind of dog? It, it, he's basically like a white Husky is what he looks like. Oh yeah. And he's not my dog and he got away and he got loose into the neighborhood and I'm a very stoic guy, but I was like, fuck. 
Like, I can't just call the owner and be like, oh, sorry, I lost your dog. All right, have a good day. You know what I mean? Like, this was a severe situation. Luckily, the dog ran straight home to oh, his nice. actual home. I don't know how he found his way. We were at least a mile away. He's a hustle, man. You know? Yeah. So, a total side note. So, like, yeah, lease your children, lease your dogs. Yeah. All right, go back to your continue. story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I think aside from having a place that is approachable in that regard, um, we did in our in our core statement want to be in our mission rather was to be a source of wine and wine education um one of the things that when we started and we are still the only winery in the city was the all the wineries in the hill country are 45 minutes away an hour away so if no one has really a high wine iq or exposure to texas wines how can you expect people to take a whole day off work spend the money and the time to go out to see if they even like something. So that comes with accessibility, um, approachability, and that and that transcends like physical, geographical, socioeconomic status, and cultural. So it's not just like white tablecloth and filet mignon, we talked about that intimidation um, of wine. And so I think that that's part of that like community building. And one of the best things that I know Austinites love is that we're a very casual town um, and we have a lot of room for communal love, support, and engagement. Houston and Dallas, it's much more you're at a country club, you're at a private gym, you're in your cars, your personal auditory space all the time. You never have to meet your neighbor. Like literally, pull right in your garage, never have to see them. You know, um, Austin, the best thing about it, and I think a lot of the reason why we sort of lean the way that we do and a lot of our cultural senses is because we actually have engagement with one another communal spaces zolker park the trail like these are barton springs these are central central core value places to austin at large and and beyond so uh just to tell you where i'm leaning in terms of like oh should we make permanent parking structures expensive in Silker Park, like that removes accessibility. We're gonna put an underground parking garage. You think parking is slow now? Have everyone pay at a terminal that's gonna be super slow. Like be behind those high school kids. It's gonna be tough. So I think the more barriers that we put between the, the us and the rest of the community, m- most of those are like price or, or accessibility based, is gonna be a disservice to us. So the more you can do to bring bring people in, right? Totally agree, man. It says a lot about why you've always created wine that's more at a reasonable price point that's accessible for a lot of people. Hey, we got that expensive bottle coming soon, okay? Yeah, you need one premium offer. <laughs> that's right. Ten grand at least. Yep. Uh, I have a round of rapid-fire questions. You ready? Yeah. What's your best business advice? Um, don't ever make a bad deal and like keep moving forward. Like Think about yourself like a shark. Sharks don't swim backwards. They can only go forward. Bro, I got a shout out to Roan. I'm rocking my Roan gear. They uh, they started sponsoring me, Sick. and their motto is "Forever Forward." Nice, I like and that. So I support that a lot. I love I that. Love what, that. What's your best marketing advice? Um, uh, I think you need to differentiate yourself in the market. Um, understand where you exist among other brands, relative. Yeah, that's so important to know your differentiator. Otherwise, you're just another one of those essentially there's there's a cool t-chart you can make to you know you see that one where people are like they have that like they had, maybe how do you do it in high school like where you are politically like mm-hmm. you know liberal or conservative and then it's like i don't even know what the other axis is but on this one you go in or uh, organic synthetic 
on one end, and then you go classical and modern. Figure out where you are. You can do that with cars, with watches, with wine. Hmm. It's a it's kind of an interesting one. It's kind of fun. You're like, oh shit. Can I do that with the podcast show? Fuck yeah. All right. I'm going to have to do that. What's your favorite part about entrepreneurship? Um, I really don't like when people say make your own schedule. Um, but, but for me, um, I, I, I really love like the, the aspects of trying to empower creative people, like seeing, building a team, like if it's just you, it's just you. But if you get creative people around you, then your job becomes removing all the roadblocks that they have. You're like, all right, you do this good. Why? Here's your project. Why isn't it going? All right, let me just come bulldoze shit for you. Like you're having trouble or struggling. And then like, that's kind of a fun, get to be the goon and be a wrecking ball. And, you know, let creative people do their thing. How contrarian of you. <laughs> when are you the most productive? Um, when I'm moving, like honestly, I'm like rollerblading, skateboarding, walking, doing push-ups in the winery like a weirdo. Um, <laughs> and then like, I'll be like, all right, I gotta go do this stuff. And then I'm driving and I'm like, this is what I should be doing. Like I call everybody. I'm like, here's the thing, you know, <laughs> so just like, this is not ADHD. Yeah. Other than your brother, who's your inspiration? I'm really inspired by my business partners, um, particularly Cooper. Um, I think, and, and Matt, Matt as well, understanding like what you're good at oftentimes makes you appreciate what you're not good at and makes you respect and trust other people who are good at that. So that's a great way to sort of like, I've, I've heard this before that people who have like dyslexia or oftentimes can be good leaders because they don't micromanage because they're like, I definitely can't touch that, you know? So they're not like poking their head and be like, so why are you doing it this way? Which you need to have a basic understanding, but don't be fucking screwing up everybody's like, you know, spatial temporal lobe and chi, you know? Yeah. It's an ego thing too, right? Is yeah. like, if we somehow think that we're the best at everything, that's just ego driven. No one wants to play on that guy's team, you know, no. or the ball handler, the shooter, take the penalty kicks and you know, everything, you know, hmm. uh, what's one secret about you or something most people don't know about you that, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty open, man. I feel like I'll tell everybody everything. <laughs> no weird quirks or secrets. Oh, or... lots of them. Lots of them. Okay. They're just all right there for you though. You know, I'll give them to you. What's one people would know listening to the show? Oh, I'm I'm scared of heights, kind of. I rock climb, but I do that because I'm scared of heights. Okay, so you're testing your edges to kind of overcome that fear, or what? Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very contrarian, classic. Uh, what would you change about yourself? Oh, honestly, right now with this weather, um, I wish I didn't sweat so damn much, man. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. I'm like on camera, I'm so shiny. And not like like a nice lotion person, just like a real fresh out the fucking kitchen. What's one app or resource you're using right now? Um, you know, I was looking at that, and I think a lot of people. I've actually heard a lot of pushback on this one, but I actually really like Strava. I know that's maybe like maybe the that's passe. App? Yeah, what? maybe that's passe now. I no, don't know. I know, but I like because I uh, I like group fitness as much as everybody else. But I actually do like, especially like cycling or running. Like, I'm like, oh, got to see the time trials, you know, and like see what other people are running on this thing. And it kind of motivates you or your friends who you like don't really use much other social media. It's like that guy rode 30 fucking five miles today. You're like, good for you, man. Like, are you a big runner, biker? Yeah, I cycle, run. I used to do some triathlons and stuff like that. So damn, I'll hop on with people. You didn't do the Texas. I didn't do the, the 
cap rock this time but several years ago i went through a bad breakup and me and a couple buddies uh all did it together and i got third place in my uh age group which was i think like 26 to 30 at the time damn because you trained that well or you're just that crazy i fucking ran baby i didn't even fucking inflate my bicycle tires the day before like i was riding on not flat but like should be like 90 psi they're like 70 i'm like eh. i was good at the running part <laughs> uh no i think strava is a great option i i was using it until i got my garmin and now yeah. i don't have to use it anymore yeah but now you need to get rid of the garmin so that people can't text you when you're running that is true well that's yeah we were just talking about how i turned off all notifications although i've been loving it in the morning lately because yeah. i wear it at night and it tells me how well i slept which is cool uh-huh. but um although i don't love wearing it at night but it's worth it to know like how well i slept yeah total yeah. side note i like that uh when were you the happiest oh you know i'm really happy right now to be honest i really am um yeah you recently engaged recently engaged Congrats. um yeah like you know we were talking about like just sort of keeping that steady mindset and i feel like at 34 i don't get like as high or as low um as i did i'm still I'm not like uh antidepressant like sort of emotionally constipated but i feel like pretty st- steady you know i'm not having like manic episodes or freaking the fuck out or going on benders you know a little a little more stability and i think that's more about like your sense of self and you know just having good structures and and being able to catch yourself when you're going nuts and it also comes with just i feel like age in general not that we're like i'm 35 so we're very close but not that we're like these wise old men but i think with age you're just like the bigger stuff just doesn't carry as much weight oh yeah and i feel sage compared to 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. I tell people all the time. more tired. Being more tired helps with that. (laughs) That's true. Well, I mean, all the endurance stuff helps. But I was just telling someone the other day about how, like, I feel like all my 20s, just, like, looking back at it, as a 20-year-old male, basically an idiot for the majority of it. Oh, totally. Like, complete moron. Yeah. Which is just hilarious. Don't get me wrong. There's some smart 20-year-olds that I know. But at the same time, for the most part, like, 20-year-old males are just degenerates and, and, I, and i hope to say that maybe with a little yeah with a, a, a maybe a little more love for myself in 10 years right like mm. like i think i'm doing well now but like i like it's one thing that i think is a really good piece of advice is most people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years thousand percent agree uh, and i think that's that's something like just fucking keep your head down quit looking back at like how far have you've gone yet like just You'll pick your head up at at the right time to give yourself a break, and you'll be like, "Oh shit, man, I did a lot." Yeah, it's obnoxious how much you can actually accomplish in five to ten years. Yeah. What's your favorite part about Austin? You can't say the people. Honestly, with with like serious, you know, intentionality right now, Zilker Park, guys. Like, seriously, that is don't fuck that up. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I have one last question before I ask that question, though. I want to acknowledge you, man um for being a long time austinite i feel like you've been here what 20 plus years at this uh, point 16 i think yeah. 16 yeah that is a eternity for most people that live in austin is like i feel like if you break like a two-year marker people are like oh yeah you've been here forever oh and uh, so i want to acknowledge that i want to acknowledge the fact that you've decided to start your own business in the wine space and dabble into something here in austin that there isn't a lot happening and you've decided to take the reins on that i want to acknowledge the fact that you are recently engaged congrats that's Cheers. amazing thank you and also for just showing up today and being your true self and authentic self and telling people what you've been through and hopefully helping others along the way thank you so much um i, I appreciate being here first of all and your time and giving me uh 
uh, a little bit of therapy and spotlight too. Um, and you know, whenever you guys uh, have any events, you know, I look forward to sharing wine with you and uh, your your clients, friends, and colleagues. Yeah, appreciate you saying that. Can yeah. you tell people your plug? Where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me at theaustinwinery.com. Sorry, we didn't just call it Austin Winery. It was sort of a the Facebook situation. My bad. Mm. Uh, and then my personal handle is Rossifer, uh MC. Um, my last name, I wasn't a musician, so uh, uh, just just to clarify there. Uh, but yeah, also just come through the winery uh, anytime, shoot us a message. I can tell you where to find our wines. I'll come deliver you wine. Um, I'll come and race you on the track. I would love that. I want yeah. I want the last one for sure. Yeah. Victory gets a bottle of wine. That's it. Uh, really, my last question is, what's your best piece of advice? So if you were to go back to ground zero and talk to Ross of opening this wine business and getting started in your wine career, or really any other entrepreneur in that just earlier stages of business, what's maybe the best piece of advice you would give them? Yeah, resilience, endeavor, and purpose. Like, tell your story work on your pitch also let like let your business change like you're gonna pitch to whoever you think is cool or whatever you you know whatever you want right your customers pick you based on like what you're doing so just like think about that um and and reflect something and so if you want to adjust anything therein if you're finding like oh we're like we're not we're not getting as diverse a crowd of people where we're really getting a lot of these type of people. Like coach yourself. That self-coaching, that one of the most difficult things is being, and most people are, I think, self-critical to to a degree, but make it something that's uh, positive. So like you have to police yourself a little bit. Um, you need to kick yourself in the butt a little bit. You need to be patient with yourself too, but sort of like meditating like that. Like have a purpose, be focused. But also, like, there's a little bit of detachment from outcome. Just because the winery is a success or your podcast is a success, your clothing brand doesn't mean, like, personally that everything's all okay on the inside. And if it fails, that doesn't mean that you're a failure at large either. Um, I think we need to have that healthy. Like, sometimes you're going to put your best out there and, you know, you're not going to win. Um, and so with that, fail fast and and move forward. But just keep going forward. Quit focusing on the speed bumps love that i heard somebody once tell me you're your or you're not your business yeah i think that's an important reminder we yeah. get we get so attached to like we are the outcome of this thing when it's reality it's like they're completely different entities yeah you're the mascot you're the spokesperson right but you're a man totally okay. or a woman yeah <laughs> yeah yeah allegedly yeah. thanks for being on the show ross appreciate it brother cheers thank you man thanks. bye Hey friend, thanks for listening to the show. And if you have any feedback for me about the show or any other guests that you'd want to see in the show, definitely shoot me a message. I love engaging with my audience and figuring out how I can provide the best value possible to the people listening to this show. Before you go, I only have one ask of you and that would be to check on my three tips Tuesday newsletter. It's three marketing tips every Tuesday specifically for the health and fitness entrepreneur to help them attract new leads. If you press the link in the description, it'll take you directly to the archive of all my previous newsletters and you can decide for yourself if it's something for you. If you end up finding it helpful, you can just sign up for the newsletter and you'll get it in your inbox every Tuesday. Thanks again and keep hustling my friends.